and often what gets in the way of deeper awareness of ourselves, particularly from the level of the body, which I consider foundational, is that we can connect to, through practices like this, an experience of a more clear awareness of what's going on around us versus not doing that and thinking, oh yeah, no, my body is the way it is and it doesn't change. We often in our culture sort of think, oh yeah, I have a shoulder pain and that's just always there. But is it going to stay there? Or perhaps are you holding it there unconsciously by not allowing yourself to refresh the moment and notice the shifting and changing that's always going on, the balancing that our bodies naturally do for us, the wisdom of the body. And you can allow that, in a sense, by getting out of the way. Hello, everybody. <clears throat> that sounds like a slightly more normal tone, doesn't it? I hope so. And if you enjoyed that last intro uh, with the Tony episode, thank you. It was good for me to get a lot of that out. Um, I like being able to do that, and I appreciate you listening if you do. I also appreciate you skipping it if you feel like you need to do that, too. You're more than welcome to. The episode is the key. That's the meat and potatoes, so to speak, of the show. And both selfishly and uh, because I think it adds, I know it adds to some people's worlds. I will continue occasionally to doing what I did last episode. I won't be doing that today, though. <laughs> it's a little more of a short, straightforward introduction here especially because Danielle and Mike have given me so much information to share with you. And the focus is really, the focus is always relatively clear, depending, well, let me rephrase that. The focus is always clear. How well it's communicated is different, of course. Movement is always the foundation. What is movement? In this case, nerv the nervous system is the focus, and quite frankly, it always is. It's just not always communicated that way. The focus of this episode, in other words, is without a doubt, neuroplasticity, the nervous system, and good. It damn well should be. It kind of always is, is what I'm hinting at there. We're just not always explicit about it, but it is the focus. Okay. <laughs> Before I launch into the bio for Mike and Danielle, Danielle and Mike, a um, little bit about Patreon, since this is very relevant to Patreon. So I'm going to paraphrase some of what Mr. Montone wrote for me, wrote for us, wrote for you. Patreon, Coru's Patreon is live. It has been now for a few weeks. Thank you if you've paid attention to that. Thank you if you're subscribing. We are so very grateful to be clear, since I've tried to be clear already so much. Our mission 
has pretty much always been with core to define wellness and specifically to define wellness in ways which are consistently universal. So many words have no real meaning, health, wellness, nutrition, even fitness and exercise. <clears throat> it is all unnecessarily confusing. It doesn't have to be in other words for that to change pretty much all of us in some way, including myself have to be open to learning somehow learning is relevant. And that's what the real in real wellness, Koru real wellness has been and is about the reality that we have to be open to learning, which means neurologically, it comes from the nervous system out. In other words, for us, everything is about education. We are both students and teachers at the same time. That's why on our hats, we, the hats we're so happy to be wearing and glad to be selling, quite frankly, and they are our most popular item, uh, beginner's mind. And <laughs> it is great that that is the most popular item. It uh, speaks very highly of our, of all of you and of all of us that that's that's a popular item a hat which simply says beginner's mind who'd have thunk that every that would be so freaking popular i mean i guess i hoped it would be but damn wonderful anyway whatever tools we can use <clears throat> to catalyze this awareness um this connections community that has been our primary focus and that is why we back to patreon have created a patreon membership program Obviously, we also want to improve our capacity for being a business. You know, revenue is relevant. But the foundation for everything we've ever done in terms of revenue has been, and I do mean this, um, we've stuck to our mission pretty damn well. I'm not going to say perfectly, but pretty damn well. Patreon is just another extension of that. Uh, this is what Joe really helped me understand. Patreon has always been essentially a way for creators to share <clears throat> with their community more effectively what they're really about. Um, some, Yeah, that's I guess that's kind of obvious, but worth paraphrasing there. What you are going to be getting... Um, I want you to be able to go and look at the Patreon website. If you haven't already done so, please do. Excuse me, the Koru Patreon website, which is... We're going to plug that here. It's literally patreon.com slash Koru Real Wellness. You can join for $5 a month and be a believer, $10 per month and be a supporter, or $25 a month and be a sustainer. All this is going to be in our newsletters as well which if you don't read or get more importantly <laughs> uh, let us know so we can get you that for five dollars a month as a believer we send you monthly inspiration primarily with uh, connected to the podcast <clears throat> somebody's words of wisdom it doesn't have to be mine could be anybody's that's relevant to uh, koru or movement matters you'll be the first to know and you'll get first access to uh, you'll be the first to get that you'll also get first access to upcoming koru events that's a big one since sometimes they do sell out okay all right so 
exclusive material and access to events. That's a big deal. As a supporter for $10 a month, you of course get that. You also get um, a discount on all Koru events. Percentages will vary depending on the event, but that's a big deal as well because a lot of them are not necessarily cheap for some people. That's very important. Uh, sometimes they're high ticket items that we have. And lastly, for as a sustainer, which we really need, of course, uh, will be, <laughs> we need to be making some big decisions here as a business sooner than later for $25 a month, you get $20 off the gym sauna membership. And you get, of course, everything from the other levels and you get complimentary Koru merch or swag. All right. Do you get one item per month? No, but you will definitely be getting it on a regular, so to speak, basis. Okay. That's the start of the Patreon world. So with that, let's go back to the nervous system more directly and talk about Mike and Danielle. After I acknowledge, this show is brought to you by Duck Donuts. Because <laughs> who doesn't love taking care of their nervous system with a donut? Or a donut, if you will, from Native Cafe, which you could eat on a table built by Philadelphia Table Company, which could be accompanied by such that the ambiance of the room, the interior feel of this room that you're eating these donuts in is beautified by a piece of art from Ortiz Art. <clears throat> you may have leftovers in the fridge, by the way, or freezer from an event with service events. And you may be aware that your overall capacity to enjoy life is fueled by the ability of others to grow food and that has everything to do with real sustainability and real focus on soil health and the Rodale Institute is a pretty damn important institute for all of that I think I just tied those together pretty fucking well so thank you all right Mike and Danielle <laughs> in their own words and then we'll get right into the show it's a juicy one there is a lot to it, I will say that. So buckle up. Mike and Danielle live a vision of inspiring a united and thriving humanity, integrating consciousness with healing, connection, and empowerment. They co-create strategies to thrive, leading to the greatest life possible, focusing on the four levels of self, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. Again, this is all their words. With a combined professional experience of four decades in business, education, fitness, and wellness, they support their clients and community with the highest caliber of tools, integrative coaching, mindfulness, and movement, Amen Clinic Brain Health Coaching, TRE, trademarked, SSP, trademarked, MRE, trademarked, hypnotherapy, guided meditation, unconscious habit retraining, addiction management tools, emotional and social education, 
compassionate communication skills using both NVP and NLP, practical spirituality, and relationship enrichment. Their programs blend... I feel like I should read that again. Their programs blend a synchrony of priceless information and simple steps that optimize human potential in relationships, one habit at a time. Their work radically changes the way their clients think, feel, move, and manage daily stress, transforming them to step into an empowered life. Mike and Danielle awaken human greatness in all they serve, masterfully beckoning their highest potential to emerge. There's further information at holisticfitnesslifestyle.com. And there's an in-depth online class, courtesy of Mike, Relational Regulation Skills, which is found on RelationFlix, F-L-I-X, RelationFlix.com. And I'll share their contact information in the notes to the episode. Okay. So Mike and Danielle. Now, if that bio didn't intrigue you... Go listen to it again. It's rich. It's dense. They're both brilliant. They're both... There's more wisdom uh, than we could tackle in this episode alone. So clearly they'll be back. Which, of course, by the way, this is a precursor to an event they're going to be hosting. At the time of this episode, we thought, when we were recording it, we thought it was going to be earlier, but we've pushed the event back to later in May, which is probably for the best for everybody. Least of all, because they found out they are going to actually be moving, which is obviously a big deal. So we've moved the event. Um, this is still a big sort of teaser for that event, but you'll be hearing more about that later. That's why I'm not going to talk about it too much in the intro here. You'll hear plenty about the event later. For now, Mike and Danielle, thank you so much. Are you familiar with Claire Graves' value system? I don't think I am. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we studied a bit of Claire Graves' value system in uh, a training we did, uh, and it, and um, we just found a, a paper summarizing his work from 1980. Um, I thought it was a lot older than that, but maybe he just wrote another summary at the end of his life. Um, so it's essentially a... It's a system for understanding the human experience on multiple levels. It's individual development, it's societal development. So as we look through the history of society, there are certain phases of development where different levels of consciousness and corresponding neurology emerged or matured to address the survival problems of the time. Right, And this actually happens through the lifespan of an individual and they can stop at a certain point, or they can underdevelop a certain part of it. Trauma can underdevelop certain parts. Um, and for example, um, socialization in middle school is one, another example. But the idea is that there are very specific parts to this. And so if you look at each of the levels, I find it really uh, illuminating for understanding conflict survival responses and critical thinking because not only is there okay i'm regulated and so i have access to my cerebral cortex but there's also okay what level of development does my cerebral cortex have at what level of consciousness can i operate and that's going to change the conversation and you can speak to someone and start to recognize they're at a particular level 
and go, okay, it's not going to make any sense. It's like speaking about quantum physics to a, a second grader. They're not going to understand what the hell you're saying. But so if you can recognize where someone is, you can speak into their listening. It's not about talking down. It's about making sure to um, attune to what's important to them. And you can all, I wouldn't explicitly say to someone if I saw that they were only at a red level of development, um, which is pretty much might makes right. And if I'm in charge, then I'm good. And if I'm not, then I'm nothing. Right. The, That's one of the contexts that they're, that they give red. Yeah. And, and Claire some, gives. yeah. And, 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 uh, I forgot well, to put these. On. Oh, <laughs> go on. Then. Um, someone who has a strong red value system would be an excellent policeman because they're going to, uh, understand that uh, a certain level of force is necessary in certain contexts and they're going to embrace that and be really great there now the next level of development is blue and that's more organizational and so they're going to be able to follow the law so blue and red value systems are really helpful for a police officer okay and maybe in the military right so as we so you're saying you want to get into that you want to touch on that quickly as we get into it I'm saying well, that... Well, we've already started, by the way. So oh, we're wonderful. Touching upon Are it. we? Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Was well, it recording already? Yeah, that oh, was cool. that whole thing we just did. Oh, I didn't even realize. <clears throat> okay, cool. Keep Obviously, going. we can take that all out, but I think it's kind of pointless. I think yeah. we'll just take out me qualifying that we don't have to take it out. <laughs> <clears throat> um, but it, as long as you're ready, just keep going. Yeah, just keep, absolutely. Right. Yeah. But it sounds like what you just mentioned about how sometimes, even though it might not seem like a an enjoyable catalyst for learning in the moment, you can look back in retrospect, you know, the context you were just giving about yeah. how some, not just men, but the people pleasing piece. Yes. So yes. different ways of there being arrested development um, could actually pay off in the end is what you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're <laughs> essentially um, superpowers. You might call them. Yeah. Of... The ability to see, you know, some people call it empathy, right? But it sounds like that's oversimplifying it, calling it empathy. The ability to For sure. see where somebody is and and connect with them where they're at. Yeah, yeah, and and if it becomes clear in the conversation that this conversation, yeah, any conversation, any conversation, that if something's not landing, any relationship or, too. Yes, yeah, exactly. That you know that you probably need to keep exploring until you find where you connect with them because we'll have commonality somewhere because yeah. we're all human beings and we all have some part of those developmental stages set up from whatever our life experience is. And there's so many uh, crossovers that we all experience in the same way. Um, I find nonviolent communication is a really helpful tool for that. That's right. You wanted to, I forgot we wanted to talk about that. That's a big one. It is a big one. And <clears throat> we're yeah. sort of, you know, in the last two conversations we've had to sort of build up to this and talking about the event in may hmm. we've all three of us acknowledged this um phrase of understanding yourself as a nervous system and you're more or less laying out a foundation for how to get into that too right yes, uh, yes. how to i how to see somebody as a nervous system how to see yourself yeah. as a nervous system yeah uh i'm hearing a lot of that already yes <laughs> yeah well, all the un unwinded in these conversations different ways of understanding it. and i think for some people they'll be drawn to a system uh, and all of these systems i think help depersonalize it but also help us understand especially since what really drives us is mostly unconscious and by systems so. you mean for example, what Michael just pointed out. Mike yeah. or Michael, I forget what you prefer. I, you I, I usually go by Mike, but I don't care, honestly. Right. If you I like don't Michael, think I've ever called you Michael. <laughs> yeah. 
Or NVC. Yeah, or NVC. So many or, other different things. And I'm sure we'll touch on some of them. I just think the system, the systems are structure. And we still have a mammalian brain that is ancient. And I think that structure is something that is like a, uh, it's like a baby gate around the parts. And also a scaffolding. So a lot of times I think about the parts of us that are automatic, parts of us that are interfering with our life, things that we know are just not allowing us to be the best that we could be. So in some cases, I like to think we put a little baby gate around them until we can work on them, have compassion for them, develop them. But these systems in general also help us understand those people in our life that are affecting us or you know, just really causing unintentional chaos. Uh, down to understanding our children, understanding how they are developing, uh, and really just stepping back into connection instead of where we are right now in our society, which is a bunch of sophisticated primal people <laughs> running around thinking we're just modern and evolved. And I'm like, first of all, our cortex, that very human part of our brain is so new. Uh, and it's, you know, I forget the comedian that said this, but he's like, you know, I don't think people realize how amazing it is that we fly in airplanes and contained, you know, uh, planes and that we're not ripping each other to shreds. Like we're, we're not as, we're not as uh, evolved as we think we are. And I think we're more evolved than we've ever been. I think empathy is a big piece that you talked about. That's what we're really, empathy, I think, sympathy is when we understand someone's experience and that's not as that's not embodied it's almost like oh i, I get it I, I get that it's almost like you can repeat you've had a hard day I'm, I'm sorry you've had a hard day empathy is an embodied understanding of that person's experience it's like in my body i have an ability to feel even though i might not have even gone through but like i can feel into that person's experience so sympathy it's not embodied it's just an, a, a mental understanding it's still good. It's still a good thing. But empathy is at other level. And I think even though there are large groups out there that feel that they're highly empathetic, I mean, I would beg to differ. I think we have deeper levels of empathy that we're here to uh, sink into. So a few quick questions, Mike, because yes. <clears throat> based on some of the obviously we just rolled right in. You didn't even know we started. So no. systems and and question about systems and a question about empathy and then we'll yeah. just let you keep going i have no doubt i could probably let you two talk the whole time which is ideal actually <laughs> but <clears throat> the empathy question is do you think not only do you need to embody but do you have to uh, know the experience have had the experience mm. to some extent as well in order to get pat from sympathy to empathy i'm thinking about how hard it would be to probably truly understand a situation if you haven't not just walked those shoes but perhaps been in those shoes yeah. or imagine being in that person's shoes but having been in that person's shoes I wonder how possible that even is mm. not that you have to but at least knowing that you yeah it's a it's a curious question um, no matter what the context um, and then systems are you more or less just qualifying the fact that uh, we have systems we have structure and it's not for better or worse, it's just it's just there, and it's not necessarily good or bad, but it's it's part of our paradigm. It's part of our reality. You, well, yeah, I mean, I, it's funny you say that, and I think of the the idea of the hammer. It's a tool, so a system is a tool, and we could use that tool. A lot of people have some things to say. The flip, the or the dark side of NVC, nonviolent communication, and truth be told, 
it's a tool, it's a system, and it can be used. It's the intention in which it's being used. So if the intention is to truly connect, these systems are what allow us to have deeper and deeper intimate connections and cultivate deeper and deeper empathy, even for people who are going through something we'll never go through. So I think it's like the, it's like the idea of a hammer. I could use it to build my house, or I could use it to hit hit you over the head. It's it's. So Would I think the dark side be that you become too empathetic. Well, that's yeah. It's very interesting. Goes that's back one. To the, what you were yeah. talking about before we recorded. Okay. Totally. The, and then the other part is you could either be too empathetic, or you could use that. Excuse the languaging, but to manipulate others. You could not even be, on purpose, but probably. Or probably huh, not on purpose. It's scary if it's on purpose, but and and yeah, not on purpose. So well, either way, maybe on purpose or not, but still potentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I know that danger. And, yeah. But so, in other words, then system. You're qualifying that there are systems. Yes. And the question is, do we need them? I know that could be a fun one, mm-hmm. but also that there is a there's pros and cons to any system, probably. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right, cool. Go for it. Yeah. 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 So great question. As as you said before, I could definitely go on and on about this. I'm going to try and <laughs> slow down and back up and and I do what that, you just described doing about Yes. Yeah. Un- un- unpacking the the experience and <laughs> and do it in a way that 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 is easy to receive. So I think the easiest way to answer that question about, you know, empathy mm-hmm. and what is it exactly? And uh, can it go too far? It's important to understand that empathy is not just a mental concept, as we've been talking about the embodied experience where we can feel into the other person. If we look at it in terms of what's going on in our neurology, we have these really cool neurons in the middle of our forehead back in the brain there, the medial prefrontal cortex, it might be referred to as, it's not the official name, but that's the area. So look at you know yeah, the, the third eye. Pointing in between your eyebrows a little above, your th- oh, third eye, yeah. Yeah, okay. so th- that traditional uh, Hindu um, uh, from, from Ayurveda yoga, third eye concept, that's right where these neurons lie. And their job is to give you a picture of what the other person is feeling. Mirror neurons? Is that what you're Mirror neurons, yes. And so these mirror neurons are critical to our development. We mirror our caregiver's body language. And we also do that as adults. Mm -hmm. So the more what's called secure attachment functioning that our parents are and give body language that creates safety in our systems, and that requires a couple things. I'll go into that in a minute. It allows us to develop social and emotional intelligence where we can read each other's body language and we can attune to other people. We learn that through a process called co-regulation and the mirror neurons are essentially giving us information as we take in through our senses and it goes through all the appropriate areas of the brain and we interpret sounds, you know, like, you know, that's energy and it's going to the tympanic membrane and our brain is interpreting it. And then I can say, this is a word. I can say uh, membrane, and that has information in it. So there's energy, which isn't organized yet, and then there's information. And our mirror neurons help to process this experience of interpreting what someone else is showing us with their body language. And this is most of what happens in communication, most of what we take in in every second it's about 2 million bits per second that we process through our senses. 
bit being like half of a computer bite. It's, you know, it's unconsciously, it's all about tone of voice and gestures, postures, facial expressions. And we take that in and it flavors the experience of what the person is saying. If I use a monotone voice and have flat affect, it's going to have a completely different experience than if I'm animated and you can hear the prosody, the changes in tone in my voice. I have emotion behind that and our mirror neurons are key in helping us to process that information. And so as we touched on earlier, development is a huge piece of this conversation in terms of understanding empathy and how we communicate and perceive and view the world. Our worldview comes from, in many ways, our early development. So this embodied empathy through our mirror neurons, coming back to the point here, is something that we develop early on. And when we have a missing piece through a lack of meeting our attachment needs, or we have abuse or neglect or something that's not supposed to happen, then we end up interrupting that healthy development that we're meant to have and this concept of arrested development you may hear in let's, you know, let's ping that circles. one not supposed to happen let's footnote that one okay mm. yeah mm. Uh, trauma is, is is a great as an event trauma would be uh, abuse more accurately yeah I'm not saying let's go into it right now but I'm just going to make a note for us to make sure especially because you're taking notes there and that's helpful so I used to I, I sort of stopped um, but that's a good one to ping. The not supposed to happen phrase, I think, is a really... We'll mm. co let's come back to that. And especially because trauma is such a... Um, the neutral word would be to say, I think, popular mm. idea. or it, It's getting a lot of attention, we'll say. The focus of trauma right now. And I think that's actually worth unpacking perhaps now. Go for it. Okay. Uh, that, that, <laughs> that trauma is technically from a neurological standpoint, like what's happening in the body, it's a physiological experience. And most people think it's primarily a psychological experience. The psychological experience, the symptoms that happen from a traumatic experience mm -hmm. happen as a result of the body going into a physiological trauma state. It is past the point of stress of the fight or flight response to immobilization shut down. That's what happens when trauma happens. So it's not what happened. It's what's happening inside the body as a result of what happened. So the common understanding of trauma, I think, is largely misunderstood as an event or this idea of, oh, you're still harping on this past event and it's changing you know, how you view your life. I've, I've heard people criticize this. Well, is it fair to say that the common, the maybe oversimplified way of looking at it is that it's purely mental or psychological is that essentially what you're saying as opposed to it having a physiological reality yes yeah. and even a mechanical reality mm -hmm. okay Absolutely. yeah and this primarily uh physiological response that happens because we're overwhelmed and we can't manage it it results in a different mode of the nervous system running the show in the background and a lot of the conflict we see in our world is just... Unless you're aware of it. So unless you're aware of it, meaning that you don't know what's happening, right? The meaning in terms of that physiological... So you can be aware of it even, and okay. it can still run your show. So I think it's... it's because a, it's pretty powerful. And it's a great place to slow down here too, because I think 
where so I have I'm you know I'm a psychology I've been a psychology student I have been understanding going to school for it for many many years and and the way they've taught us and this is why it's so great that trauma is making it to center stage at this point is that we could if we understood our trauma so they call that a top-down way of understanding so if for those of us that have had trauma we can understand it, we can unpack it. There's all these ways that they have been educating us. And even when we go to therapist's office for several decades now, uh, they've had this approach to helping those with trauma. And now we're understanding that there's a top-down approach, understanding it, yes, but that doesn't address the nervous system. It doesn't address what the body's holding in its memory, its implicit memory, almost a, a memory in our body that doesn't have a language. So now we know in, in this beautiful realm of uh, unpacking trauma, that there's a bottom-up approach. So that's that's where the nervous system is now getting really trendy, thank goodness, because even people like me who have been on the healing journey since I was 12 and I'm almost 44, my body wasn't catching up with what my mind knew. And I know a lot. So that's why when now people are being taught about somatic ways of releasing. Uh, so we're doing top-down, which is all cognitive, and that's very important. But then there's this bottom-up, and both of them should be addressed at the same time, if possible. So Otherwise, that's what... you're like a head without a body or a body without a head. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And so this is where I think we're all kind of coming together, and we're all just... I mean, even that phrasing is all arguably absurd or sort of traumatic in a subtle way the idea that your head could be separate from your body it's ridiculous but i think that's that's <laughs> the ex think about it though i think a lot of uh, us that are, is the normal experience yes, yes yes and that's why empathy i'm is, willing to say it is yeah. i think i think we can be pretty clear about that so well, we can so see it in you know but, well, politics my, social media it's it, it, it people are displaying this this survival response that is so clear when you understand what's going on in the background in the body and the yeah. normal symptoms that show up and it's being normalized as if people are having intelligent conversations and they're just attacking each other most of the time yeah mike i wasn't trying to so i was actually just curious when i asked a second ago hmm. about if you're aware of it so i had a i'm not going to go into the specifics but ridiculously i'm willing to say traumatic experience a little yeah like 10 and a half months ago obviously i remember it quite well oh my goodness <laughs> mm. yeah wow. still Last fresh may and april and i feel pretty damn good good that's great in fact i know i'm good but that's what i was curious about so if you know something is happening and you're aware of how to handle it so to speak i guess my will that always lead to trauma like well it, do you have do you have to you use the phrase like oh, carry it takes over or carry mm, or mm. carry it with you yeah so, yeah i see what yes. you're saying yeah. so this yes. brings us as back opposed to, to just flow something happening that you have a relatively healthy relationship with in terms of whether it whatever shit show occurs and yeah. you need to experience it you experience it and mm -hmm. then life continues yes so so to speak mm -hmm. this this is why trauma is not about what happened but what happens in the re in the body as a response and it's different depending on what your resilience level is so mm -hmm. it goes back to the early development conversation i had very early trauma including in utero and as an infant and so that drastically affected the, the healthy development of a sense of safety 
and put my body into a survival mode. I didn't know as a young child, as a teenager, as a young adult, that these symptoms of ADHD being hyperactive and not being able to turn off my uh, desire to just constantly move and just shout things out and then I would dissociate. And in the middle of a conversation, I could fall asleep on my feet because wow. I was so stressed. I didn't know I was stressed. I didn't know that that was a concept. I just thought that's how I was. And so- Well, right, so you had no idea at that for the first, you said like three decades or so. Yes. Yeah. And so it, it, I see where you're going as far as having an awareness that it's happening and then moving on. If you have early developmental trauma, you can still have those symptoms show up as you're working through the process of healing what in infancy shouldn't have happened well, going back that, to that, that back, point. That's why that yes. phrase is so relevant. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. why that phrase is so relevant. Yes. yes. And and the reason it shouldn't have happened and, and the way I'm, reason I'm saying it like that is because healthy human development that allows you to go to the next milestone and effectively develop cognitively, uh, socially, emotionally, all the different neurological processes that are normal to a human being and interacting in a healthy way and being able to learn complex concepts and develop empathy and so on. All of these things are dependent on each developmental milestone happening in a relatively uh, smooth way. And when that doesn't happen, you end up with a less, hmm, <laughs> this sounds a bit extreme, a less human experience. It's more primal. It's more survival-based. And it's, less it's, resilience. And yes, that's the it's, piece that you talked about before. And so well, this is what right, changes. Zebras, we're different than zebras or whatever yeah. other mammal yes. you want to make a comparison to. And the, yes. But the difference is really we're, we're digging into yeah. yeah, what makes us human, essentially. I think yeah. it's a curious question based on that phrase. That's a really cool phrase or important phrase is does... Does it all? Does any of it have to happen, so to speak? Trauma is it even a necessary part of the human experience, so to speak? Well, we think. I mean, as far as we understand, and there's another piece that I wanted to mention. So, it it is something so a traumatic experience, and there's different types of trauma, and we there's different definitions, and some it's easier. It's, I'm just going to talk about the big T and little T types of trauma. Big T trauma is like that big event that just happens. We all know it's a car accident. It's just a, an overwhelming experience. It's if, you know, you go to war and you have this experience at war and you come back and you have obvious trauma from this experience. So that's big T trauma. And then there's little T trauma. And these are the more nuanced uh, little things that can happen over time. So this would be childhood, uh, childhood abusive situations where over many years there's been neglect that can build up. Uh, there's also different other types. But the one thing I wanted to say, so there's different types of trauma, and we're, under, we're understanding this now, but also it's what happens right after that situation. So for you in this situation, you had something happen. Now, the body reacts, everybody, every person's body reacts to something that's traumatic, unexpected. And if it's in that moment or it's long, you know, happening over a bit, a bit of time, that's to be factored in. But who is there to support that individual? What support comes after? So even if, I mean, and I have a bit of a sketchy childhood as well. Um, so <laughs> here, here's what I would say, even if there's a few, you know, I always think of Jenga games. I think those of us that have had some childhood stuff were like that beautiful Jenga game with a bunch of little pegs taken out from the bottom. So it makes us a little more wobbly. And 
even though there might be a little less resilience as we're on our healing journey, what do we do when that event happens? Our body's affected, there's chaos, it's a big deal. I bet you in your case, what what happened? So what what did you seek out? Who did you lean on for support? What did you do with your body? Did you move it? Did you get mobilized? See all of that affects because you can mm-hmm. be traumatized and not have long-term effect long-term effects of that trauma. It's kind of you know, it's 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 this what happens after that. For those that have held stored accumulate, accumulated trauma, they've never been able to work through it. After that, they didn't have a supportive other or supportive groups or systems or therapies to help support them through moving through it. So I'm curious, like in your case, you know, what yeah, was, I'm happy to yeah, because that's helpful to getting too graphic or specific. Yeah. So, and it gets into the think to me actually the mechanics of how to heal is really the key, as opposed to. <clears throat> I mean, there's a lot that's not just theoretical, but also more we'll say theoretical as far as the subject goes and it ultimately i think people truly i would imagine care about like what the fuck am i going to do though what are the mechanics for what i'm going to do great this is all well and good i'm glad i understand the specific aspects of my you know cortex here and what it means to have a reptilian response or fight or flight etc etc but let's let's unpack the mechanics and are the systems that we're trying to use working for us how are they working how are they not working etc etc and so the through line to me is no matter what you said movement, but specifically awareness and not mm-hmm. just awareness mm-hmm. of movement, but I think awareness goes hand in hand with everything. Yes. And that's a uniquely, I guess, perspective that I'm pretty sure we all have, but isn't, I don't know. I don't know if that's as obvious in the general uh, sort of community that we're sort of connecting to here, that awareness and movement go hand in hand. <clears throat> but we'll put that out there. Yes. So yes. you're damn right I moved. <laughs> yes, yes. That's the, yeah. Um, yep. There was definitely no freezing or being still. Yep. There was immediate movement, immediate action, yes. immediate um, going with whatever's happening without, mm-hmm. because of enough training, without doing anything, uh, I guess, conventionally, um, re, uh, uh, without continuing the the damage without letting the yes. damage go further. Yes. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yes. Um, taking responsibility for something for sure. Yes. So yeah, all of the people I s- reached out to were very clear about why and what was Safe going others. on because there was communication yes. and immediate action and. Hmm. Very specifically with respect to the May portion of it, um, yeah, I came here and did some pretty wild shit in the the gym over there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, something I had never done prior and not done since, but it was good. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you what, but it's pretty no. Unique. I mean, it, <laughs> for you it would be, but it sounds like it you was were for me, yeah. you were a, absolutely embodied enough to know. I mean, this is what animals in the wild do. So, in a sense, this was a primal intelligence mm-hmm. that yeah. you tapped into. Yeah, and it worked. It worked. Peter, yeah. Peter Levine wrote a book on this called Awakening the Tiger Within. Yeah. And it's I about killed. tapping. In, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Yeah. If yeah. you can show And I had supervision. <laughs> Which, again, very important. Very much so. Very important. Yeah, but the tiger, yeah. If you can show your body that it's competent and can protect itself by moving in a way that demonstrates that, that will resolve the traumatic stuck state in your nervous system. That's right. Right. 
if you have the resilience to do so. So it can be temporary for someone who has early trauma like like I do, for example. Um, so where, you have to know how to do that. Yes. And I'm going to just continue to flag that question. Is it ideally even necessary to have to do that? Or is it a matter of, in general, knowing that you can that matters the most? But mm, keep going, though. Great question. So it's, it is a great question. It's, it's not a, a mental knowing. Yeah. It's... Well, that's what changed for me in that with, with this experience for sure. Yeah, yeah, there was another layer of awareness that I'd not. Yeah, there was no awareness of it prior. It was all basically in the head prior for sure. It's yeah. uh, to 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 put out an example that I think a lot of people might be able to relate to. All the runners out there, when you run your first marathon or a first long distance run that you never thought you could do. Once you complete that, there's this experience in your body like triumph. And when you experience a triumph of mastering a skill or uh, reaching a certain landmark goal that you're just so proud of yourself for doing, there's a feeling in your body that goes with that that I can only describe as a sense of mastery or competence that gives you a different state activation in your nervous system. And this is the opposite of trauma. Trauma is helplessness. Trauma is shut down. I am so overwhelmed. I can't do anything. I don't know what to do. Collapse. In the body, but also those mental thoughts come up as well, the emotions. Uh, and when you can feel it in your body, that changes everything completely. So the the reason why I went back and mentioned uh, in this in the context of this conversation, early trauma and how that changes resilience is that, well, the earlier it happens, the longer and and more complex the healing process usually is. Uh, and, and I can give an example of uh, the, there was a study and you can find this in uh, Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keep the Score. Uh, he wrote a book there talking about uh, evolution of, of psychology and understanding trauma and that it's the body that really uh, shows what's going on. So there was an experience of vets who came back from Vietnam and uh, they all had traumatic experiences, all of them. And they were dealing with PTSD when they came back. They were not able to sleep very well. They had flashbacks where they would hear a car backfire and then think that they were in a war zone. They would drop down and, and start army crawling. And this experience, uh, they needed to get therapy to work through. Now, some of them worked through it. And they were able to come out on the other side and do the therapy. And some of them ended up falling into addiction. A lot of them were uh, using morphine for the, the, the pain that they were experiencing and some people who weren't experiencing pain and they just got hooked. But the people who were able to get off of those drugs and were able to resolve their symptoms had a different level of resilience. And one of the ways that we can explain that is when you have early developmental trauma, where when you're developing, for example, the the infant in the attachment stage of development, which is the first 18 months, they turn over neurons and synapses, pruning synapses that is getting rid of ones that are unnecessary and building new neurons and blending neural connections through their experiences. This is all happening so fast. It's about tens of thousands per second. And this is key to understand because when you have a developmental block through abuse or neglect or some major event or lack of attunement and care from your parental caregivers, you end up blocking 
such a significant portion of brain development and neurological system development that to take an, an, an adult example, if we're doing really well and we're just kicking ass, you know, we're, we're, we're working out and we're eating well and we're developing our brain, we can turn over three to 800 neurons a day and synapses combined um, and just compare that in a day to tens of thousands per second. The, the making up of that experience early on is going to take some time. And it takes what's what are called corrective experiences. So when you don't have that early trauma, it's much more likely, just like those vets who did recover and who didn't fall into addiction when they came home, they had more resilience and likely they had more stable childhoods. And uh, is there a third variable worth noting or resilience, you know, the foundation of childhood, which implied parenting, right? Yes. Um, well, resilience uh, relating to that. Yes. I mean, so th there can be an acute trauma that happens in adulthood after development, and it can be pretty severe, and you cannot have the support that you need. Ultimately, the support that you so need. community. Yes, community. Arguably, right? Huge, Absolutely. Huge safe social connections. I mean, you, it, you brought it's up, a web. We have both these books in the back. The one you just mentioned, The Body Keeps Score, but also um, Tribe. That was a really good mm. book. You, oh, you should probably read it. I think... You'd like it a lot. Cool. This guy, Sebastian Junger, wrote it mostly regarding, mostly focusing on people coming back from war, but not only, generally focusing on the reality of why communities needed, but with a specific question about what's the difference when a member of a community, aka tribe, is... <clears throat> you could say a warrior. Mm -hmm. How does a, what's the best way to relate to that, to a person who's had to be in that role mm -hmm. uh, in any situation, no matter wh where they are in their life, what's the best way to relate to somebody who's had to be a warrior? Yeah. Which, mm -hmm. so again, back to essentially what I think is, a, it's one of the more provocative questions that, I sit with a lot, but also clearly relevant to this conversation. Yes. We're sort of talking about violence at the end of the day, no matter what. Yes. Yeah. So how do we relate to violence, period? Mm. And- <laughs> mm, Big one, good one. And more specifically, do we need to have a relationship with um, that capacity that mm. is relevant to being a warrior, being mm. a- it's a great archetypal power center. Some, whatever you want, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, Is it needed? Oh, yeah. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Well, you say, oh, yeah, without question. And I, well, I think I agree, but I don't think it's obvious. So, well, it, not, not, it well, definitely <laughs> needs to be qualified. Yeah, I and mean, also, I, I'm no, not saying all-out violence is a good idea. No, I know that. Nobody <laughs> yeah, yeah, would yeah. think that, but, <laughs> yeah. but it, I don't think it's still an oh yeah enough. But And, and you well, said something relevant before we started recording, but go on. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting because I do a lot of archetypal study. And for me, I happen to have a very strong calling and knowing that I have a warrior archetype in me. And maybe it's astrological. Maybe for those that believe in astrology or attune to it and find it's very part of their their language of life. So I am an Aries, so that's that's you know ruled by Mars. That's very powerful. That's the warrior. I I you know this is all hypothetical, but I, I have a feeling, a, a deep felt sense that someone's genius might not be 
in that power center of the warrior. I, I think in and look at look at ancient uh, groups and civilizations. Not everyone is a warrior. Now I think everyone has power centers and they have a genius. So it, it's interesting. How do we relate to them? I think it, it's it's a it's a big question. I just think that some people, we all have connection to what's powerful within us and maybe exploring archetypes, you might be able to find what that is for you. Not everyone seems to attune to that. So in a sense- But even I, you aren't, in quotes, just a warrior. So in yeah, an we have many sense. beautiful yeah. parts. You know, I, I, There's a lot of work out there from uh, Dr. Richard Schwartz, IFS, which is internal family systems. I love this because it's the idea that we have many different parts. And in fact, in fact, if you think about it, you know, we have different, if, if we're vehicles and we have different parts of us, we have many different parts of us driving our own cars every day. So it's like, you know, maybe I'm having a great time and I have this more young part that's more exciting and rebelli rebellious that comes out. Then when I go and work in a school, I have my teacher archetype come in. And then I'm at home and I, I'm with my kids, my mother energy is here. And I also have a little bit of masculine energy. So I'll have places where I can be a little bit more dominant, not domineering, but like I have that, you know, responsible part. Um, but I think beyond gender, because I was actually going to mention what you were talking about as far as when going back to trauma, if I, if I can, because I think it could tie into this a little bit nicely. Um, no matter what happens in our body, uh, no matter where we are, men and women and that's that's why i think you had such a great experience of releasing and processing and allowing the cycle um mm -hmm. that, that it was like an activation cycle when that whatever happened activated your system to a level now if that didn't happen the way it did it still might be stuck in your system and there might be little remnants of it but i think you've taken the learnings sure, yeah. you've taken the learnings from that and you let the cycle complete by being physical. And I think in this in this this world, and with all these great somatic therapies out there, uh, men and women, no matter what, whatever gender, we have to complete that activation cycle through some type of movement. So some type of movement therapy, some type of process. A lot of women study martial arts after they've dealt with a lot of abuse. It empowers them. It gets them back into their body. It helps them feel that sense of competence. Mm. So that's that's you know, in a sense, that's the warrior. That's the warrior. Yes, and and so I think the less obvious piece, though, is why does any of that even have to mm. be part of human mm. experience? The human experience. Oh, <laughs> such a great question. So, well, because it's not there isn't a good enough answer yet. No, maybe Mike's about to give. <laughs> <laughs> I I do have a, a I factor. I think we'll come up with a good answer. I but think so. For sure. I mean, a the three of our answers. heads put together, I think we've come up with all sorts <laughs> of great stuff so far. Um, and more to come. So there is another aspect that affects the the ability to heal from trauma. There's another aspect that helps us to relate to a warrior archetype, for example, and any archetype, really. And to really connect all of the parts of the conversation we've been talking about as far as what makes us human and what allows us to thrive and get to that highest developmental level. And that factor is play. And I mean play in the sense that neurologically, there is actually a term called play, a state where the sympathetic fight or flight response is what's called downregulated with the what's called ventral vagal 
branch of the parasympathetic nervous system and putting all of that aside, these two branches that normally do different things, they work together and create this experience of play. And I'll give you an example. Is that flow? Is that different from the flow state? It's definitely a flow state. And, and I think there are multiple ways to experience flow state. And uh, I, that's definitely one. But a great example is looking at sports. And there can be the archetype of the warrior out there for sure. When there's bad sportsmanship and, you know, people are trying to knock out somebody else's knees with the, with the hockey stick or whatever it is, that is not activating the play circuit. But when you have rules and you follow them and it's the joy of the sport and it's about the experience you're having together, it brings yeah, joy. There we go. That is neurological play. And interestingly enough, Marshall Rosenberg in Nonviolent Communication talks about the concept that everything can be play when we connect to our needs and feelings, which brings us back into empathy. Mm. So there are all of these connecting threads coming into this aspect of play. It brings community together. It helps us develop. It helps us to heal a traumatic experience. It mm. downregulates and calms our stress system. It allows us to experience more empathy and relate to one another because the neurological system of play is the exchange of body language where we are attuning. You smile, I smile back. You say something, I respond, there's this back and forth, and we're attuning. And this experience, neurologically, is called play. Can I throw in a little tool? This is the perfect example. So if anybody's listening, and you're having an argument with someone, whether it's your child, your significant other, your parents, uh, one of the top traumatologists, Peter Levine, talks about how in his office, he always has a ball. So, And then I've heard other therapists who do this work with couples yeah, always has a ball. But what he does is he'll start to, hey, to his patient, let's have a catch. Or if there's a couple, or if there's two people that are there together, do me a favor, throw the ball back and forth. So in this moment where there's complete disconnect, they'll actually, he'll either, if it's one-on-one, -on -one, he'll start to just throw a ball back and forth. And this act of just this cooperative fun, because you know everyone has this idea that a ball, for the most part, if it's a baseball, a basketball, it's fun. That's one thing you can do right now in your life. Like next time you're having an argument with someone, that's starting to register in the body and the nervous system and then with the other. Even if the words aren't there, even if the state is gone and you flipped your lid, seeing red, that's one way. It's, it's a way of engaging the play circuits. And it's that easy. And of course, I would recommend when I work with clients You'll just let whatever you were discussing, just put that aside for now. You are, you're already seeing red. There's nothing that can be done when you're in a high stress state in a conversation. You know, tell this to the rest of the world. And if we're on social media and we don't have someone in front of us, we cannot toss a ball. So in a sense, how do we get this? I mean, it's going back to your question. Using this concept of play, which is like a hack into this social engaged space, how do we minimize all of the violence? How do we, how do we, in a sense, take this big idea of, you know, where we can evolve to? How do we do this when we are living amongst a bunch of very civilized individuals who are unaware of the fact that they're in such high levels of survival state? So we're so intelligent now. I think that's part of the problem. Um, part of my problem, too. It's like we literally are just in, in this space this mental space. And like you said, we're just heads without a body. It's like, there's a disconnect. Mm -hmm. There really is. So that's why I'm here as an educator and a coach and, um, you know, all the work that I'm doing in the world. It's like, I feel like this is my con contribution to get people back to a place where we can see where can we really evolve? How can we stop <laughs> 
stop these, you know, wars, these mental, emotional, physical wars that we're still conducting in our groups, in our lives. So play. There we go. Simple, but it's a start. <laughs> and it's, it, it is. And, it, and, and it's not a end point solution. It's no. like play. Okay, cool. Now we I'm know. I'm glad you said that because right? it's more, a process. Which yeah. I think gets to the real answer. We can disengage or, enough to find solutions at that point. And then do it again and again and yes. again and again and yes. again. Okay, so. Yes. Each present you, moment. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So if there's, we'll just put this out there, excess violence. Mm. And we have to maybe qualify that a little bit better. Yeah. So there's something being violated. What is it to violate? What are we violating? Mm. So if we're suggesting that there is excess violence, and of course that often seems to be traumatizing, understandably mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. Yes. <clears throat> Why? One, which I think we've gotten close to, especially with that part about process and mm-hmm. um I think, and I guess this is largely theoretical, it's, especially because clearly we also don't want to not allow for the, so to speak, um, capacity for the quote-unquote warrior, whatever, mm-hmm. however you relate to that. You don't want to, yeah. we seemingly agree that we don't want to get rid of that. No. Right. No, no. But there is excess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> yes. The play is relevant. Especially because if there is an imbalance, that could help rebalance. Mm-hmm. It sounds like what it, obviously the theory I maybe I'm getting at is that the fundamental, dare I say, trauma is perpetuating a narrative which suggests there is an ending to anything. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay, okay. great. Yeah. That's violence, in my opinion. That's mm. the fundamental violence. Yeah. Yes, stepping yeah. out of yeah. the reality that we're always in processes that never end and into this. You are violating yourself by yes. believing that, mm. I think. That is profound. It's very finite. Is it? Is that, does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. And, yeah. and, and it so ties We are together. fundamentally violating each other and violating ourselves by believing that over and over and over and over and over. For sure, it's it's a yeah. as opposed to, to what do you call play. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, to to pull yeah. from what Danielle said earlier. It's a top down reinforcing thought, belief, action around. Oh yeah, this moment. Oh this moment. This moment again. Mm-hmm. And I'm in this process. And there's always things that are changing and evolving and moving. And I can choose Literally. to. Yeah, yeah. As are you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and each in each moment, we're well, new. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. And we can my point was you can reinforce that in a top down way. And the so uh, having the understanding that we're continuing to become. We're not just being, we're continuing mm-hmm. to become, right? Mm-hmm. And through this experience of continually recognizing that, we can from a top down cognitive experience go, yeah, this is my philosophy. This is my worldview and that worldview helps me to re-engage and be playful and in the moment. And there's also a bottom-up experience that we give ourselves the environmental circumstances that allows us to thrive in that reinforced belief, action, well, thought process. So what you said earlier on, not supposed to, mm. the only way that that really makes sense then is if normally we don't believe, we're not reinforcing that belief. 
Okay. Or maybe it's not the only way, but it, okay. Did that make sense? To... Um, can you say more about that? All right. Yeah. So if you're suggesting, and I agree that something's not supposed to happen because you use that phrase and then we, we all pinged it again. And mm-hmm. I think that implies that the norm could be different in terms of story, in terms of belief, in terms of shared narrative, in terms of cultural and human perspective and if the norm is this violation of reality in that Mm. you're believing there's an ending whether you know it consciously or not you're acting and thinking and moving and relating in that way um then of course the thing that's not supposed to happen is happening so how is it not going to happen that's what would be different and therefore i think it would that which is quote unquote not supposed to happen probably won't happen which yeah. ultimately then begs the question of how relevant is this quote unquote warrior capacity? Mm. Probably pretty fucking irrelevant, mm. mostly. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's, that's. If we go to the utopian, yeah. uh, uh, extreme idealistic picture that we can create from, imagine that it all goes this way. We are talking about that though. Yeah. <laughs> And so imagine that it does it happen. It doesn't mean though you don't have the capacity, it just means you know how to operate that way. Yeah. Yes. Okay, I see where you're going. Yes. So Hence the prolific nature of a sword and mm. its relevance, or the or of a using an arm to deflect somebody from coming at you a certain way, and perhaps not even with the intent to do harm, but just because, oh, of course, yes, I'm not going to allow that. Yes. Mm. I don't Maybe that's purely hypothetical, hence you saying utopian, but I think, I mean, to me, that's what you're describing, yeah. ultimately, especially with that phrase, not supposed to happen. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. it, it's, the, it's kind of irrelevant to use that phrase in a sense, because it did. And it, well, also, be, yeah. it, it's... Well, I don't know if it's irrelevant. You're not negating the fact that people are dealing with all no. kinds of trauma. You're not yeah. lacking empathy by pointing yeah. it out. I think it, it just mm. it's, it's, highlights it's simultaneous. It's a I think there's a simultaneity in that. Yeah. It's, it wasn't supposed to happen, and it happened, and I think that's one of the most complex places you can have to both. be. Yeah. And that's why, that's why when you're dealing with someone, it, and now we have enough, thank goodness, enough good science and... Um, amazing data to really help people get through it because in a sense, it's both. And going to mm. what you're talking about, this idea of this, I mean, I, gosh, I, I think I've lived, I was a sci-fi reader. I still love sci-fi. It's my place to go when I'm escaping from the world in a positive way. Tons of Marvel, tons of DC. Mm. You know, I mean, to me, it's like, so, and there's strong, there's a strong warrior element still in these sci-fi utopian stories of where we will potentially be and you know, 2075 or wherever, even further. So will, will that archetype be irrelevant? You know, boy, we could, we could really geek out about this. Uh, it's one of the, the oldest and strongest archetypes that we have. Um, and, and do I, do I imagine a society or do well, I by imagine? irrelevant, a, I wouldn't suggest get rid of. It's yeah. just so in you're its saying, right place. So balance well, right now. Everything in its right place. That's right. It's, it's not balance. I mean, so there are, I'm sure there's a handful, if not more, uh, benevolent warriors, 
these 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 humans who, and I think Jordan Peterson even talks about this, uh, and I, I I quote him, and you know people either love or hate him, but I thought this was really accurate. He said some of the safest men he's ever met are the most dangerous man men who who have learned how to manage their impulses. Mm. So in a sense, this yeah. is the benevolent warrior. Mm -hmm. This is the man who knows he's capable of, and woman, let's just say this is a human who knows they're cap what they're capable of. They're in touch with that violence part, which by the way, every one of us has violent tendencies. Now I do need to make a note, go on. <laughs> yeah, every single one of us has, I mean, and, and if you don't admit that, uh, he, Jordan Peterson also talks about, you're more dangerous <laughs> than anyone else. All of us have- Because there's a denial of that primal yeah. impulse that we all have underneath all have there. It. If needed, it in can the arise wrong and circumstances. Right. So, so in a sense, where can we go? I, I, that's what I'm thinking of. This benevolent warrior, and I'm just trying to think if I know of any. I mean, maybe any characters and movies of just oh, uh, movies yeah. are easy. I mean, think so. Who, who can, who, who do you come up with? Who's this is a warrior who has matured into a place of many like a book a and many mystical father energy, just like. Do you have any? I mean, you just I, I know. Them. I'm just. I'm. I'm picturing in my head. How about Captain America at at the end of the series? Uh, spoiler alert! If no one's <laughs> seen that. Ah, and what about Thor's uh, Odin? Yes. So King Odin at the Odin? end of sure. uh, yeah at the end. If anybody's read the stories or or has watched the movies, that I, was this is one of my favorites. Ah. Aragorn up there. Oh, really of course, know. Lord oh, of the yeah. Rings. Please. Mm. It's actually a great YouTube video mm. about masculinity that just unpacks him. Mm. That is, Aragorn. and that, and see, he, that's one to unpack. So there we go. Right there on your shelf is, is a benevolent, matured, that's the matured warrior archetype. That's, yeah. that's where we're going. Still has a sword. Oh, he still does. And what, <laughs> what is this? Walk lightly, carry a big stick. Is, it, is that another Walk softly, thing? carry a Walk, big stick. I believe that was go. Teddy Roosevelt. So we need to work on that for sure. <laughs> Cultivating yeah. that. I think. I think it's actually not to be disrespectful. You weren't negating anybody's trauma when you said oh. you said nobody is here. Right. That's not. I don't. Not worried about that at all. It's. Um, I think it's it's actually pretty easy mm. if you have certain mechanical. If you have certain maybe systems, but there are, and certain things in place and a certain foundation, it is pretty easy to yeah. develop that skill. Yes, I actually mm -hmm. think it doesn't need to be considered some sort of fantasy or fiction or ideal even i think it's yeah. actually pretty straight we'll say say straightforward we'll say not necessarily the path easy. being straightforward yeah and in that being able to know what that capacity is for mm. um for any human yeah is i think fairly straightforward we yeah. just don't seem to necessarily have a good enough sense of it in general and mass. Mm. No. Yet. I mean we're we're very we're a, our modern cultures are excuse me for saying this power hungry. So if you happen to have the gift of the warrior, if you happen to be born into privilege and uh, there's a, there's a lot of things that you could potentially have as as energy and power, you know, that's where a lot of the problems come from. So it's like you can have all of the ability to become a benevolent warrior, and I'm just seeing tons of humans uh, that just are choosing not to. So the path seems to be straightforward. Well, that was the nature of my question. Yeah. Why is that seemingly not, even though it might be straightforward, not yeah. normal? And I, I don't have a oh, better, boy. to what you heard a second ago, I don't have a better suspicion yet other than we've made it 
so easy to believe that there's an ending and you have to have everything you're doing committed to a final state. Mm. I don't have a better theory yet. <laughs> I have something that may bring us back toward the beginning of the conversation and tie some things together. Good, do yeah, yeah. Let's hear it. Let's so I'm going to attempt to abbreviate this because this could go on for hours. So <laughs> there's this concept and it's an interdisciplinary approach to looking at the human experience from Dr. Daniel Siegel. It's called interpersonal neurobiology. And he speaks to this process of the mind actually. And the way he defines the mind was not something he came up with by himself. He brought in scientists from every discipline, mathematics, quantum physics, sociology, psychology, biology, anthropology, sociology, just on and on and on and bringing everyone's ideas together in those disciplines and trying to find a way to agree upon with all of their information, a definition of the mind, which even psychology has not managed to do, or they uh, often in psychology, they'll say it shouldn't be defined. So I can see their point in terms of uh, allowing it to stay a process, but the way that they defined it here, uh, I find really helpful in the context of this conversation and really in the human experience. What they came up with is that the mind is a self-organizing, emergent process of exchanging energy and information within us and between us. So this brings in some mathematics that I want to take one piece of interpersonal neurobiology into this concept here of that the mind is not just what's in our heads. It's not our brains. It's part of it, but there's also this betweenness between us that's going on that's part of the mind. There's this, uh, you might call it a group mind or a relational mind and the individual mind, but all of it's really this experience of this exchange of energy and information. Like I was saying earlier, you know, uh, but you know th th that's energy it's auditory energy and as soon as i make some of those sounds into words that we understand then that's information right and this is a process that's exchanging between us as it's hitting your tympanic membrane the uh, the, the the energy the sounds that are coming from my vocal cords and fine-tuning it with my mouth uh, and tongue and lips and all of that there's this experience of something called integration and this is a mathematical concept in complexity theory and this is brought into interpersonal neurobiology there's this concept of a system is stable when you have a an a, a interconnection of differentiated parts so let me say that differently if you have all these different types of fruit and they're spread around the room, you have a lot of differentiated items and they're not connected because they're spread around the room. So that would be a very rigid uh, example of items that we could call a system of, you know, let's say our kitchen and what we're making our food, right? And then you can also throw all those pieces of fruit into a blender and you can blend them together. And in a sense, that is a chaotic state. 
integration is the connection between differentiated parts that aren't too blended. And the more integration you have in a system, the more stable it is. And interpersonal neurobiology as a discipline has managed to put this together in psychological techniques, in fitness, in all areas of life that, for example, can empathy go too far? This brings this concept back. Yeah, yeah. And this is where I'm coming back around it's to the beginning. It's almost like the distinction between excessive dependence or codependence or like sci-fi nerds, like a Borg situation, what mm. some people fear about communism or socialism mm. versus the potential for interdependence, which is really what's needed no matter what. Amen. Interdependence is exactly what integration yeah. is all about in this context. Um, and so to take the fruit example, yeah. instead of blending them, it's a fruit salad. Yeah. They're connected and they're also differentiated. You can still understand the separate, so to speak, parts or distinct parts. That's right. The, dis the, the, <clears throat> the integration of us in this conversation is we're all differentiated people, but we're linked in this conversation. Mm -hmm. If, you know, I got uncomfortably close, that would be not so differentiated, <laughs> right? <laughs> That'd be the fruit smoothie. He's a close yeah. talker. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a very integrated yeah. state. And so I it- I notice he's a close talker. <laughs> <laughs> so you can have a, a, a way of looking at life that keeps you in a process and noticing the balance of what's going on in whatever context you're talking about, whether it be a conversation or fruit or uh, fitness and how you're approaching it. Like if you put together a fitness program and you just throw out, throw all the exercises at it you can possibly do and, and you end up getting- sore and then you do it again the next day and mm. it's you're overtraining right and that you're would gonna be hurt you're, somebody's gonna get hurt probably yeah, yeah absolutely and and that would be a chaotic way of approaching it and then maybe just haphazardly you go about okay i'm gonna do uh aikido one day and now i'm gonna do weight training with the barbells and dumbbells and then i'm gonna go and i'm gonna play soccer and they're spread apart by months that's rigid and it, it's not linking them together in a program that actually works. So finding, for example, the the needs of that individual person and go, okay, so what's the frequency? What activity do I enjoy? I mean, how about that? Playfulness. Yeah. <laughs> and integrate that in a way where you define integration as differentiated but linked. So it, implicit to this potential, obviously, in the context of humans in relationship mm -hmm. to other humans and in relationship to the environment and in relation to primarily hopefully to themselves mm -hmm. is an understanding of oneself yes yes that's sort of implicit here one yeah. yes that's sort of the trick though huh it is the trick because <laughs> self-awareness seems in... like the the fundamental problem not having that it is a fundamental problem, and I think that's part of the reason Did why. I jump ahead to <laughs> not, not at all. No, no. A, a survival state perpetuates a lack of awareness yeah. because we can't. If a car comes uh, you know, out of nowhere and we have to jump out of the road, we don't go, oh, should I jump out of the road and do a cognitive process? We just jump. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's needed. But in the context of a conversation where we're having you know, a dialogue and we just jump right in with our opinion, it's like, it's like, you know, it's not effective in that experience. Whereas jumping out of the way of a car, yeah, that was helpful. That survival state that our body automatically went into. Mm -hmm. But if I get into a survival state and I start, you know, you really need to hear about this, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I go into this frenzied 
fight or flight state that's reflected in my body language you can hear you could hear in my voice and i'm not really in an integrated state at that point and i certainly am not going to have access to that awareness that allows me to shift my state and go oh wait a second i think i'm talking too fast and I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm connecting with the people who are around me. This, this is, so you can actually have practices in place that help develop awareness. You know, for example, setting up post-it notes of something that you're learning. And once it becomes yes. automatic, you have this mastery, this unconscious competence. And so you don't need awareness because you're doing it automatically. It's a new pattern. And so speaking to your point about having awareness is a really tough thing you know that's one of the reasons these systems are so helpful that you can practice fundamentals in whatever given system that helps you to understand and organize what you might not be able to uh without it Mm. and you can start to make it a practice and as that becomes habitual it's automatic you can build upon that and so even in this conversation here there have been a couple times where internally i was going on too far and i kind of I have a way of addressing that as I joke about it. I'm going to try and keep from going on and on for hours about this, right? Mm. There's an excited part of me, and I'm aware of that. And the structure of saying it out loud, being vulnerable and going, yeah, this is a quirk of mine. I put that out there in the conversation. And in a sense, because I said it to you, it it helps you hold me accountable in this in this subtle way mm. because I've put it out there. So a vulner- having vulnerability... Uh, as a practice um, around wherever we want to improve and become more integrated in the different areas of our lives, uh, it can be helpful to not only put it out there by writing it down in our personal practice in our journals, but also in our conversations. Like I say, yeah, I'm committed to working out five times a week and I found that that works really well for me. I'm telling you this and you might notice, hey, how are the workouts going? Right. You know, that would be a friendly way of doing it. A not so friendly or not so integrated way would be, you only got four workouts in this week. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> so, so what you're saying, what you're saying is that, I mean, first of all, to know thyself, mm. that is a huge place that we need to all stand accountable. But I'm, I'm just, I'm here and listening to what you're saying. And in order for this utopian concept to, I mean, and I think most of us that are doing this work are really holding the vision for what we can be, for who we can be. But I think we need two major things, humility and this ability to have self-accountability, self-responsibility to increase our awareness, to increase these abilities, these human connecting capabilities like empathy. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a start, it's a commitment. I mean, if we wanna evolve the species, which I think all of us do, uh, some of us, and I'll be one, I'll say I'm one of them, is, is pretty concerned. So I, I think this is a serious commitment that an individual has to make to then be able to then connect to their concentric circle of people around them so that we can, can keep connecting and connecting and build modern day safe tribes. I mean, some people, some evolutionary psychologists have some ideas on how that could go. I, I think we're still working on how that's really going to look. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the urgency, and I'm I also would love feeling you to say more about that. Well, uh, I'm feeling the urgency of creating tribe to creating these safe communal places because that's where that's where we can find ourselves, we can develop ourselves, that's where we can heal ourselves and others in, in trauma states because we're never going to be able to. Well, I'm not going to say that. Actually, in this conversation, I'm not going to say there'll never we'll never live in a world where trauma. Well, 
you know, it, it's possible. It's possible we can get to that place, not in this lifetime. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting a little pessimistic here. I think what I'm saying is that this piece on self-responsibility, this piece on knowing yourself, it's a huge piece to be able to connect with others. And we have to start somewhere. And that's a, that's a really self-responsible, pragmatic place to start. So that's where I start with myself, you know, and that's where I start with my kids. That's where I start with anybody I can influence responsibly and benevolently. Uh, and I probably am a little hyper-responsible. So for those of us that are like that, soften up, <laughs> go out and develop some, you know, uh, abilities to receive. And so I, I think really it, taking an inventory of your life and starting there and doing it with people that can hold you safe and accountable. I mean, it's the one downside to not having as many religious organizations, although I'm not a religious person. I think there is a different look on accountability these days, which we could go into. But so that's that's what I think. I think we're just, you know, armoring up, not armoring up. Okay, there's the warrior in me talking. Uh, humility. I think that's a great place to start. Yeah. To get us to where we want to go. Many people over the centuries or millennia would agree. Um, yeah. Yet we're still here. Well, thank, thank, <laughs> all right. Bingo. Why? And that, yeah. so... And you brought up a public figure who's, I think, normally often ready to wet his bed. And I don't mind being provocative about it yeah, in that way. And I'll, I'll unpack why. But, please, yeah. Because um, I don't think I need to show him any level of respect or disrespect. I don't think it's unfair to yeah. be blunt about Mr. Peterson. He mm -hmm. seems to appreciate it. He's but, fine um, with it. Yeah. We'll talk. JP, if you want to, but yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Your definition of mind, Mike, was I think really appropriate, especially because it's essentially what is needed to have that sense of self, so that you don't become just part of a soup or not mm -hmm. know how to connect. Yeah, in whatever metaphor you want, whether it's a sci-fi situation or fruit salad or <laughs> right. whatever. Right. But I think we should reiterate that definition of mind. It was really spot on, especially mm. in the sense of the process peace and mm. movement which is why i always come back to movement mm. that is the name of this silly show mm -hmm. <laughs> uh did you know that but it's called movement matters yes. yeah okay great yeah so. <laughs> of course but i do want to also clarify what i'm saying in that provocative way about yeah jordan or anything that's about i think it's fair to say that his primary focus is you know take care of yourself right in a nutshell mm. Yeah. Or or focus on what yeah. you can focus on right now. Like take responsibility, as you said. Yes, mm. yes. I think that's fair. Yes. Focus, uh, as far as so. his um, initial sort of success publicly, not the mm. controversial stuff, but the success, yes. I think, is take responsibility for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that isn't enough either. Oh, no. And. Again, no. I don't for okay great yeah so my only two real critiques because I don't pay a lot of attention to him yeah. are I don't think he says what I just said with enough yeah. earnestness yeah <laughs> yeah which shocks me because it's so obvious yeah and mm. two somebody that wound up about mm. fearing the gulag mm. needs <laughs> to be put in yeah. the respective yeah context as oh, yeah. well. Yeah. I mean, the guy makes himself sick. Well, he did own. get sick. Yeah. Yes. He got very sick. 
And interestingly enough- And he can enough, blame his physiology and genes I as know. much as he wants, but he is yeah. obsessed over yeah. things that are clearly nauseating to say the least. Yeah. And out of yeah. his personal realm of control. I, that's the fucking point I was that about is. to say. It's, yeah. ir- it's ironic. <laughs> yeah. Considering yeah. His It's not focus. just ironic, it's important to really keep your eyes on, I think. It's true. Yes. It's true. I have to tell you. doesn't mean he doesn't have value, just like everything oh, has value. He, if it exists, it has value. It does. Bottom line. Mm-hmm. And he filled in a piece uh, of, of this beautiful kaleidoscope of this human current experience. He, pil- he filled in a piece that I saw throughout my life, clients, people that was missing. And that was. Yeah, I read 12 of Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. So that was, and now, now where do I disagree? Tons of places. So, so he, so he again. It's a simul. It's like we. I think we learn. We're learning how to be more sophisticated in how we are. As I mean, being human is sophisticated. So that's one piece of the many different things that we are needing to integrate as an individual. And then, of course, in like so, we. I think we're not. Again, this takes me back to what's frustrating is that we have not been given the chance or educated in ways that has really set us up to be. Uh, successful social creatures and we are ultra social like our nervous systems are we are ultra social but yet we've in a sense we're behind developmentally so i think that's why we're all here we're like all right let's catch up let's figure out how to do this what are all the pieces and the systems that work that that and of course we're all different so your systems are going to work for you maybe a few of them will work for me i just think these conversations are important because well we're talking about what's most relevant most of the time for most of us yeah that's what we're describing because of course that's the you know, with the awareness that there are yeah. distinctions, of course, as, yes. it, as there should be. Of course. Why, though, despite the humility being relevant for <laughs> thousands of years yeah. and with different people pointing it out throughout the our sense of history, why is it still seemingly, because uh, you, like you said, you're feeling a little pessimistic as you were exp- expressing yeah. the need for that. Why is it still seemingly so... And I say seemingly because I'm not convinced. I'm not totally sure, of course. Yeah. There's some, there always seems to be, there could be things happening beneath the surface, but we also know there's a lot of things that we wish weren't happening. Yes. So why are they still happening? Why are these seemingly, these patterns, these tendencies, these habits still so, um, at least, you know, if you're just purely statistical about it, prolific? And I believe that has a lot to do with these beliefs that are thousands of years mm-hmm. in the making that haven't been accurately unpacked or at least not on a large enough scale one of them we've acknowledged in this conversation yeah. and the significance of it is really is is largely captured in that need for play mm. with of course the understanding that <laughs> there's a lot to clean up in the midst of your play yeah. yes yeah. Well, I think you said it really well. The problem is awareness. Yeah. Yeah. And becoming aware of where our flaws are individually and as a society will allow us to take a look at that and go, okay, so how am I adjusting the process? How am I integrating in a way that brings me more toward balance, brings mm-hmm. us more toward balance, brings everyone I'm connected to, this interconnected web of relationships and tribe and community, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if I may, uh, I'd like to, <laughs> you know, I'd love to do this. I'd like to unpack a little bit uh, a concept around developing awareness. 
Uh, sure, of course, if through. you may. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to make sure I'm not derailing a direction we're going in our conversation. So, you're not. I I appreciate you wondering that. I don't perceive. I haven't thought it. I think um, there's a lot of. There's, we're never gonna. This conversation isn't gonna end. Obviously, it's just that we're just putting as much valuable information together as we can in the context of whatever amount of time we have knowing there will be an event at the very least that's relevant to this but obviously that's also not the ending of any of this so i think just letting i think we're flowing and that's the the thing and i don't perceive there being any imbalance so excellent yeah uh, i see and, and speaking of awareness yeah. <laughs> that I, I wanted to make sure i wasn't missing anything any yeah. cues because sometimes i do and so i just wanted to double check before i brought out another thread well do you daniel i'm good yeah, i'm I, good i I'm think curious. not yeah okay <laughs> cool so over the years i've cultivated a another system yet another one of looking at awareness and i look at it in terms of a three-dimensional graph where you could think of each of the lines x y and what's that vertical uh, the three-dimensional z, z. is it is it z x, x y and z. z yeah so one of the vectors of awareness you could look at as breathing another of the vectors of awareness you could look at as movement and then the third as sensation and they all interrelate really beautifully. I like to use the metaphor of playing a violin. So imagine you're holding this violin and you know if you play a violin, you know you tuck it under your chin on whichever side you play and you have your fingering hand that changes the length of each string as you press down and it creates a different length and therefore a different note. And you have the bow that that moves across those strings and vibrates them. So I like to think of this process of cultivating, navigating awareness through these three vectors as playing a violin where the bow that's moving across and vibrating the strings is the experience of breathing. As you breathe, you change the state of your nervous system. And whatever state you're in, your breathing will reflect that. And so you can also think about, okay, so what am I doing with that experience how am I moving? Now, movement, I don't define as just physical. It's also movement of your mental experience. So I'm focusing on this side of the room, on your face, now onto your face. I'm shifting my attention. I'm moving it, right? So there's movement physically and there's movement mentally in this. And think of that as the hand that's putting the fingers down on the fretboard and changing the notes. So I'm playing and I am breathing the vibration of the experience the nervous system state and i'm changing how i'm doing that and in terms of how am i moving my attention while i'm doing that or moving my body if i'm doing a somatic practice and where's the sensation that's the music that's being played it's the music we hear and so if you think about navigating this and cultivating awareness, there is a, a really practical way we can do right now, if you'd like, of navigating awareness through this experience of shifting attention, breathing, and noticing sensations as they shift and change. And it's this really simple and profound exercise that Danielle and I both learned from one of our mentors, Paul Darby, who teaches TRE, 
tension and trauma releasing exercises, which is one of the modalities that we may go into to some degree at this upcoming workshop. So the exercise of grounding and filling goes like this. There are several phases to it. So begin by getting into a comfortable position if you're not already, preferably upright sitting, maybe you're standing somewhere, and just get comfortable and notice your breath flowing in and out. See where you notice it most naturally. Might be at the level of the nostrils or the throat. Maybe it's the movement of the chest rising and falling. Maybe the belly going out and in. And as you breathe in and out, we're going to connect a visualization practice to the inhale and the exhale in two different ways. The first one, as you inhale, imagine you're filling with awareness from your feet all the way up through your whole body, the top of your head, through to the tips of your fingers. As you exhale, whatever you sensed in your body, imagine it's draining down your body through your legs and out your feet again. In a sense, grounding that experience. Every inhale is a new moment, breathing in awareness, filling with awareness from your feet up. Whatever you notice, imagine those sensations are draining, draining down your body, through your legs and out your feet again. Continue to breathe, inhaling awareness up. Whatever you notice, exhale, visualize all of those sensations draining down and leaving. Effectively, you're taking in a new moment with each inhale. And whatever you notice, with acceptance, just let it go so that you've cleared the space in a sense, visualizing and also with your breath to take in a new breath, a new moment, new sensations. And then let that moment go as you exhale with acceptance, letting it drain out again. And so maybe take one more breath and just notice any sensations you're experiencing and maybe how they've shifted or changed from how we started. Exhaling, letting them go. And take note of what your body feels like now. Now, normally I would direct you to take note of what the sensations are in your body beforehand and then notice any changes afterward. But often when you do it for the first time, if you can just let it be an organic experience, you don't think ahead to what might happen. You just let it happen. And what ends up happening in this experience is that somatically, that is in your body, you're cultivating deeper layers of awareness. In a sense, you're peeling back armoring of tension, of held stresses that were never released through, let's say you shrugged your shoulders after you know a long day of being at the computer and typing away, and you never let your shoulders fully drop back down again. Often in this experience of grounding and filling, you'll find yourself becoming aware of sensations that you weren't aware of before. You peel back the layers. And so notice that through the process, we navigated with the three vectors of awareness. Our breathing connecting us to a particular nervous system state. If you breathe really quickly and deeply into the chest with your mouth, that's going to excite you. If you breathe nice and slow, using your nose down into your belly, 
especially when you lengthen the exhale, that's going to calm your system. So however you were breathing, and you can change the flavor of this exercise by changing the pattern of your breath, you're also moving your attention up and down one moment at a time, continually refreshing the browser of your bodily experience, you might say. You're going into a new moment, and then a new moment, and again, and again, as John Kabat-Zinn talks about, getting into a space of what's called beginner's mind. And so we've addressed breathing, movement in terms of your focus of attention, and what are you noticing in your breathing and your movement? How do you know you're breathing? How do you know you're moving your attention? Well, the sensations, are, in a sense, are a map that you're drawing up and redrawing in every moment. And often what gets in the way of deeper awareness of ourselves, particularly from the level of the body, which I consider foundational, is that we can connect to, through practices like this, an experience of a more clear awareness of what's going on around us versus not doing that and thinking, oh yeah, no, my body is the way it is and it doesn't change. We often in our culture sort of think, oh yeah, I have a shoulder pain and that's just always there. But is it going to stay there? Or perhaps are you holding it there unconsciously by not allowing yourself to refresh the moment and notice the shifting and changing that's always going on, the balancing that our bodies naturally do for us, the wisdom of the body. And you can allow that, in a sense, by getting out of the way. You're attuning to this moment, your body, now. And going back into our conversation earlier about mirror neurons, there's an opportunity to deepen the capacity to feel into what's going on in our own experience. What emotions are you in touch with now that you weren't before? <coughs> you may notice, some people notice a sadness coming up that was under the surface that they couldn't connect to. Or maybe a fear or anxiety about what they might say or do next that might not look or appear like they would like, which might get in the way of meeting the need for acceptance that we all have. This ability to feel deeply into yourself opens up a whole new capacity to become aware of feeling into, not just cognitively empathizing with someone, but an embodied empathy. This allows you to navigate with more self-awareness, your own experience and the relationships you have with other people. And that grounding and filling exercise, you could do for 10 breaths. Make that a new practice and watch how your life changes. Now you could elaborate it and you could do quite a bit more. But just that little check-in makes all the difference. Uh, Danielle and I often refer to the unconscious, that is all the beliefs, values, automatic patterns in the body, our neurology, our implicit memory, that is the things that we associate with other things that we learned early on. We take all of that unconscious experience and we call it the iceberg of the unconscious. And in a sense, 
through that experience of grounding and filling, we're gently melting away different layers of tension that block our awareness to what's going on in our bodies, in our emotions, in our relationships, and in particular, with this conversation of cultivating awareness, layers of awareness of our own mind. Your five senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, connecting you with your environment. Your internal experience, anything beneath the skin, your muscles, bones, internal organs, what's called interoception. And as we follow those sensations, often we can figure out, oh, this is a map of my internal experience. What's going on mentally in terms of images, thoughts, memories, hopes, dreams, aspirations, desires? Are we conscious of how each of those, let's say, focusing on thoughts as an example, how does a thought come into awareness? Does it just show up? Does it slide into your mind like a, a picture? What's the experience of a thought showing up? How long does it stay there? Does it automatically switch to another thought process or does it gradually fade away and there's a space? What does that space between thoughts feel like? And my only point in all of this is there's so much to unpack. There's a whole inner universe. And by cultivating this awareness through practices like that, there are many, we can do our part in cultivating the awareness and, and looking at, okay, so what can I do to be the best version of myself possible? Am I part of the solution? Yeah. And by the way, in that space that we can cultivate after a practice like that, bringing us back to another question in the beginning of the interview, um, well, podcast, uh, <laughs> um, is in that space, I guarantee you the cultivated ability to be in that space allows you to feel into another and empathize, even if what they're experiencing never happened to you in that way. Because underneath all of these experiences, we have core human shared emotions. Mm -hmm. So in that space, cultivating what Mike spoke about, which is this interoceptive ability to feel deeply within that can give us the superpower of being able to empathize with anyone, any sentient being, technically. And so that's the beauty of that. And that's the power of that. So thank you for leading us through that. That was great. You're very welcome. As an anecdote that's related to that, we were talking about nonviolent communication. I've looked into a lot around how to practice that effectively. And without embodying, without regulating the nervous system, it can just be a disembodied head experience <laughs> where often it turns into, how do I control people with this system? Rather, or how do I avoid being controlled? Mm -hmm. Versus the true intention behind nonviolent communication, in my opinion, the genius, the universal uh, universality of it, is that it connects us to ourselves and one another mm -hmm. through our commonalities. Right. 
and we can access this more fully with a regulated nervous system and practices that allow us to have conversations like these and feel in our bodies, okay, what's this experience like right now in this moment? Yeah, we'll save that for another time. This feels like a good place, especially leaving it with that exercise, if you will, or that guided meditation, really. Yeah. Um, but uh, of course, back because systems came up in the beginning, I don't think we need to go further with that topic, but <clears throat> a system mm. is only as good as uh, you know, the people who are using it. And the key, back to our one of our main themes, is it better evolve. It better be open-ended as opposed to a closed loop or there's a phrase, fixed ideational systems, mm. fixed ideational thinking. That's yes. really the heart of what we were describing as far as like a foundational um Again, I'll call it trauma. I don't mind calling it that. No, so, no, it's true. But uh, I think in the context of this conversation, that was a good moral. I, I think it'd be tough for people to keep listening after that. Well, because they're embodied. <laughs> yeah. Why not enjoy that? Feel yeah. what that feels like. Go I'm keep, ready to go meditate now. Go so. meditate. Go take care of yourself. Go take an Epsom salt bath or just yeah. deepen, deepen the embodiment with your senses. Immerse in nature. Maybe you have a nature yeah. reserve nearby and you can just go on a quiet Pet your walk. your cat. No, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's... take a nap. Oh, right. yeah, do it. Enjoy. Enjoy this has this. been a pleasure. Thank you for doing that, Michael. It'll be it's a nice preview for what's to come for both of you for sure. Obviously, yeah, you're Definitely. welcome. Thank you. Do you want to say anything else, or are you good for? No, I think we're great. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, if it. it I could drop here if you'd like uh, a couple of resources, if you'd like to mm. stay connected. Well, we'll do that in the, it'll be easier to just put that in writing, I think. Wonderful. We'll definitely give you some Sounds resources. Either way, it would have to be written down, right? That's well, true. We'll have some yeah. great ones for you then. If li live would make more sense to do that right now, of course. Yeah, if it, like, to your question from a couple of days ago, if it was live. Oh, right, yeah. right. Yeah. And they're going to be looking at, you're going to have to write it down or copy and paste something anyway. True. <laughs> you mean, of course, just contact information or something? Yeah, like and, and there's a, a course that I have online called Relational Regulation Skills on a platform called RelationFlix. Oh, yeah. Mention, oh, yeah, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mention it, and we'll just have to put it in writing, of course. Yeah, cool. all of that. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah of course. Yeah. We didn't even get into that. <laughs> <laughs> Too many good things. Yeah, there Next was a nice, time. Yeah, there was a nice flow here, Next so it, it feels nice to to leave it in this this really zen space that I'm I'm feeling. Yeah, well, eventually it's time to do something else and then, then come back to it, whatever it is, right? <laughs> yes. Perfect. Movement flow. <laughs> so for sure, that course is worth talking about again. It's not going away, right? No. Okay, good. So no, it'll be around. Okay, good. All right. Good. Well, clearly we could have kept talking. Thank you, Mike and Danielle, Danielle and Mike, and we will be continuing. Maybe we'll even get a part two in before the event. I realized between recording the intro and now the outro, why not mention the event a little bit? It's already, by the time you're hearing this, probably going to be about a month away. So that's exciting. It's basically going to be more about the nervous system, which if, again, you remember in the intro and you didn't pick up on it during the episode, kind of the main theme here. So the working title is Hack Your Nervous System for Success. Subtitle, 
reduce conflict and improve effectiveness in your relationships, personal growth, and optimize your life. Okay. It's a big one. And I suspect it will be a part one of many. Um, how Mike and Danielle came to my life is is a story unto itself. Maybe we'll talk about that next time. Needless to say, everything... <laughs> I don't prescribe much. This should be in an intro. I don't prescribe much to any, like, There are very, let me put it this way. There are very, very few ideas that I put a lot of faith in. Specifically to say, there are very few ideas that I prioritize for my life. <laughs> and I recommend you don't prioritize many ideas for your life. But what is an idea? <clears throat> well, that's debatable. I think that it's fair to say Danielle and Mike and I connected because of something at the very minimum neurological. There's a neurological chain of events and domino effect from before we met to when we met to this wonderful recording to the event that you hopefully are going to be joining us for. And if you can look at your life and map things out consistently with a focus on and an awareness of your nervous system and other people's nervous systems and how everything's connected and the cause and effect of every particular detail in your life and other people's lives. I'm not saying everything's going to make complete sense, but it will be a much... It doesn't have to make sense. It will be more rich you will have more fun. I guarantee fucking tea it. <laughs> and with that, I bid you farewell. Thank you. See you later. <laughs>